Hey guys, hope everyone is having an incredible week. Um, I am super excited, Kyle, about our guest today, Shuan Head, June, aka mm-hmm. Shuan Head. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really interested about her sort of like journey through the YouTube space and what that's been like for her and her political evolution and how that's all gone. So I'm psyched to get into all of that with her. Yeah, that is uh, that is going to be really interesting. And let me just say, because I, I saw a comment. I don't see comments often, but I did actually catch a comment. We had mentioned, oh, she's going to be on. It was a certain week, and then she wasn't on it with somebody else. And then there was speculation where people were like, did they bump her? Did they cancel her because she said something controversial? Oh my God! Did people like, really think we would do that? The people <laughs> do who, you know us at all? That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> seriously, we're I'm the last person who can cast judgment on anybody else about fucking anything. I mean, do you really think I'd be like, <laughs> you said something that's unacceptable? Because apparently said that we problematic. She made like a, a joke that was like controversial and some people got mad at her and people thought that like me or you read it and oh we were like God. we can no longer have this person That's on hilarious. our podcast like, we had glenn greenwald on that guy gets canceled every single day <laughs> he's trending on twitter him. every other day and <laughs> yeah. why am i spitting when i'm talking it's like projectile so excited about the topic and yeah sorry if i give you covid but anyway <laughs> um yeah sorry go all right so the big thing this week was biden's infrastructure package which you and i both weighed in on extensively on our shows i think i mean i'm of the mind that it is pathetically woefully inadequate buys into deficit hawk garbage doesn't just dropped some of the key priorities out of the gate et cetera. Et cetera. but equally interesting was the response to and equally revealing i would say was the response to this infrastructure package from the former president of the United States, Kyle. Mm -hmm. So what did Jimmy Carter say? (laughs) Jimmy Carter would have a lovely take. Yes, he would. Yes, he is. Um, I am talking about Donald J. Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was interesting because I sort of feel like this statement that he released encapsulates all of the problems with his presidency and how it just it stood for nothing. It became this garbled mess of like, let me just throw out some sort of working class buzzwords but pair it with a completely corporatist agenda. And that's exactly what this statement is. So the thing that he really is decrying Mm -hmm. in this statement is that Biden proposes some absolutely incremental, moderate tax increases on rich people and corporations. And that's what Trump is like going crazy over. And he closes the statement with this, which I think is really sort of encapsulates the whole thing. This tax hike is a classic globalist betrayal by Joe Biden and his friends. The lobbyists will win. The special interests will win. China will win. The Washington politicians and government bureaucrats will win. But hardworking American families will lose. Joe Biden's cruel and heartless attack on the American dream must never be allowed to become federal law, just like our southern border went from best to worst and is now in shambles. Our economy will be destroyed, Kyle. There's another part in this where he attacks Biden and says, like, you're going to outsource all of our great American jobs. And I immediately went to the 2017 Republican tax cut law that he signed. That bill incentivizes outsourcing of U.S. jobs. Right. He also had the ability, Trump did, to sign a Buy America executive order, which would make it so that everything the federal government purchases has to be made in America. He didn't sign it. Now, to be fair, neither did Biden, but you can't use this language and act like you're a populist when what he's begging for 
is the exact opposite of populism. He's asking for the elitist policies. There's nothing more elitist than keeping taxes for the wealthy super low. Yes. You know, and he, like you said, he uses the term globalist. Well, if you, if Trump continued all the wars, he did. If Trump continued all the outsourcing, he did. What the fuck do you think globalism is, bitch? Right. That's what it is. Well, and the amazing thing, too, is like he says the lobbyists will win, the special interests will win. Well, the thing that like the Chamber of Commerce and all of these lobbyist groups are freaking out about these tactics. They're against Biden's tax hikes on and the wealthy. Like, exactly. Let's be clear. These are not radical. It's not nearly what I think should be done. Nowhere near. Just on the corporate tax rate, to be super specific, before Trump, it was at 35%. Then they cut it to, cut 21. It to 28. To no, no, 21. 21. It was at 28 that was the bipartisan agreement. It was down to 28. Then Trump cut it to 21. Biden's just bringing it back up to 28, not even to the 35 that it was before, and made this big deal about, like, that would be too high. Biden did that that would be too high, which was annoying to me. So this is, like, barely doing anything at all, and the lobbyists and the special interests are actually freaking out and super mad about it and going to the mat trying to keep it from happening. And Trump's trying to pretend like a tax cut for corporations is something that that's bad for working. Family. I mean, it's just like completely bonkers. Well, it's actually the exact thing that Noam Chomsky says. This is what Trump is best at, which is he has this phenomenal ability to sound like he's fighting for the average person yeah. while he's actually screwing the average person massively. Yeah. So he's at the same time, he's totally appeasing the donor class, the lobbyists, the special interests, the billionaires, the corporations, totally appeasing them, giving them exactly what they want, while also duping a decent number of working people into thinking that he's fighting for them by using the buzzwords like globalist and lobbyists and saying China will win. Again, hilarious. This guy's saying China will win. Biden's continuing the exact same China policy as Donald Trump. Right. So why, why, how could you say China's going to win under Biden? He's doing exactly what you were doing. He's, right. not, he's not getting rid of the tariffs. He's keeping the tariffs. Right. So this is, I mean, it's classic Trump. And by the way, let me add, I don't know if this made it to the final infrastructure package, but when we talked about the corporate tax rate, it was 35%. Trump cut it all the way down to 21. Biden's not even saying bring it back to 35 or go higher than that. He's saying 28. Right. Okay. For the top marginal tax rate, he wants to make it 39.6%. That's like exactly what it was under Barack Obama for eight years. Yeah. You know, this isn't like we're talking Dwight Eisenhower, a Republican, back when he was president, the top marginal tax rate was 93 percent. Right. That, now, I, to be fair, I don't know what the line was. It was all income over, what, $3 million or something like that? It didn't affect that right? many people. Right. 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 didn't affect but that still, many people. Yes. But yes, the point still stands that we used to have progressive taxation that was like the rest of the developed world in this country. And then ever since Ronald Reagan and the neoliberal era, we've gone hardcore in the direction of cut taxes for the wealthy and deregulate. And where we are now is, and you heard me make this point the other day, the Democrats want credit for being like the next FDRs when they're 80% Ronald Reagan and 20% FDR. Right. You know? and, and again, what's Trump doing here? He's attacking Biden as if Biden's gone too far left you know what I mean? And right. it's the exact opposite. He's too far right wing and too much in agreement with Trump. And they're both too elitist. Completely. You know, and Mitch McConnell made this comment. This is so classic. He was like, they're going to raise taxes on the most 
productive members of mm. society. Yeah. Very like because they can't party say billionaires rich. Yeah. Messaging, and um, you know, I mean, it's kind of it's annoying to me again that Biden drew this line of like I'm not going to raise taxes on anyone under four hundred thousand when previously that line was two hundred fifty thousand. So he's upping it to make it to make more like well off people um, escape additional taxation. But it makes it very hard for Republicans because that group of people between 250 who make like 250 to 400, those people are giant pains in the asses in politics. They're extraordinarily influential. They're disproportionately represented in like the local donor base. Mm -hmm. So those are the people who are doing the local like um, fundraisers for Josh Gottheimer in New Jersey or whatever. They're a giant pain in the ass. So if you had them getting hit with taxation, then they would kick up a fuss and Republicans would have something to work with because that also falls into like, you know, kind of like small businesses and stuff like that, that they could actually work with. But this, if you're making 400K a year, you're in the top 2% of income earners in America. There's just no way you can colorably, colorably be like, these are middle-class people who are getting hit with these taxes. So they're engaging in this rhetoric, which sounds very old school, Reaganite. Trump is just completely shameless, throwing in every buzzword and, you know, turning the whole argument on its head. But I think they're going to have a hard time making it stick. Ultimately, with the relief bill, they really didn't try at all. Like they just didn't even try to argue against it. They just all voted against it, but they didn't make the case. And so the relief bill ended up being extremely popular with both Republicans and Democrats and with independents as well. And um, I think they're going to have a hard time demonizing this thing. And again, I have personally I have major issues with it because I think it's woefully inadequate. The problems are the polar opposite of what they're pretending the problems are. But I saw a poll. Voters are overwhelmingly in support of these types of tax hikes on the rich. Like well, they're pissed off that wealthy people got so rich during the pandemic while they were screwed. And they're happy to see corporations and the rich pay a little bit more in taxes now. Well, that's why they effectively lie and misstate what's actually happening. And that's why you see Republicans talking about, oh, they're going to come to raise your taxes. It's an, it's an attack on the American dream. Right. Or they're like you said, they're going to raise taxes on the most productive members of our society. These are all code words to try to make people think he's going to come raise taxes on regular working people, when in reality, he's only going to raise taxes on the wealthy and corporations. But my takeaway from this is that that's Trump was going to put out that statement literally no matter what the fuck was in this bill. Biden could have put out a bill that was just Trump's 2017 tax cuts, the, the copy and paste everything from that piece of legislation and yeah. propose it, and Trump would have been like, here we go with the globalists and the lobbyists and the special interests. Right. No matter what, he was going to say that <laughs> yeah. shit. And so stop and think about that because th this is how absurd he really is. Go in the other direction. What if Biden actually released a new New Deal that was phenomenal, that was right. like, you know, real you know, whatever, fill in the blank with whatever you want to go in it, right? And he would still say, like, you're somehow serving the globalists and the lobbyists and the special interests. Because, again, with Trump, there doesn't have to be any sort of connection to what's really going to on. Reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he just, he's the master of, I'm just going to say something and repeat it a thousand times over and make you think that, you know, I'm the one who's keeping it real and looking out for the average guy. 
And to your point, they're going to end up going back to the culture war stuff again because this it, it's not tenable. This stuff is not they're tenable. They're going to try this on. It's not going to get any traction, it, and they're going to find some new culture war outrage. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the story in The New Yorker that came out. You covered it. I covered it. It's um, Mitch McConnell was talking to, like, the Koch brothers and the other conservative donors. Oh, that's an incredible story. And they were talking about H.R. 1 or S. 1, the For the People Act, which is basically like a, an election reform bill and anti-big money and dark money bill that has stricter regulations on it. And they literally say in it, they're like, we're not going to win the messaging battle because it, it's too far ahead. Yeah. This, this piece of legislation is so popular. It's popular among Democrats, independents, and Republican voters. Yes. So we want to fight back. We want to frame it in a way that could get the public on our side, maybe bring up AOC or bring up cancel culture, bring up whatever. But it ain't going to work. So instead, just totally ignore the will of the voters. Right. And that's effectively what they're going to have to do when it comes to stuff like the infrastructure bill, even though it's too small and there are good left-wing criticisms to it, there are no good right-wing criticisms to it. So they're going to end up having to either totally lie about it and face plant or go back to 2010-style deficit rhetoric, which won't fucking land, or just say, throw their hands up and say, fuck it, we're going to go back to talking about Dr. Seuss because we have nothing substantive to add to the conversation. Yeah, no, that's what they have basically collapsed down to. And so... Their arguments, their economic arguments are no longer tenable or popular. And so they try this on. They tried it on a little bit with the relief bill. It just doesn't stick because there was some research um, out this week about the way Americans feel about billionaires. And that was actually really interesting because there was skepticism among both Republicans and Democrats around billionaires, although it showed up in kind of different ways in different places. But everyone is super pissed that they made so goddamn much money during the pandemic. And so, yeah, you're going to have a hard time making the case to people that they shouldn't be taxed a little bit more, given how handsomely they profited off of this pandemic. So they're just going to collapse back to whatever the culture war outrage of the day was. It was really funny, though, that Coke uh, network recording that was leaked to Jane Mayer at The New Yorker, because they go through all the arguments that they tried to make to to basically convince people that, no, actually, H.R. 1 is really terrible. And they threw something against the wall about AOC, like trying to tie it to AOC. And people were like, eh, I'm kind of persuaded by that, maybe. But the one that did not work at all, they said, and this is from the piece I'm reading, it says, sadly, not even attaching the phrase cancel culture to the bill by portraying it as silencing conservative voices had worked. It really ranked at the bottom, their analyst said. That was definitely a little concerning for us. So even in their... Breaking out the old greatest hits and it's yeah, not working. Yeah, let me just yeah. grab mm -hmm. some like conservative culture war buzzwords yep. try to make it work with this bill and make the case and people were like no we still think that we should know when we that billionaires shouldn't be able to buy elections yeah because they're trying to square peg round hole it where they're like cancel culture something when you know cancel culture, the legislation go. is just like hey we should have automatic voter registration and we should have paper ballots for everybody and we should ban gerrymandering and we should limit the impact of dark money and we right. should make it so that billionaires can't buy elections as easily right and everyone's and like that sounds pretty good that sounds like common sense and it doesn't matter how many times you go like aoc is in favor of this people are like okay, i don't care if she right. likes dogs that means i'm supposed to shoot fucking fluffy in the face like i'm not, I'm not gonna do that and, and you made a gr another great point about that poll on billionaires because my takeaway from that poll was similar which is 
Americans are now on to the fact that we don't live in a meritocracy. I think there was a time when people could have been reasonably persuaded that it's meritocratic enough to just, just play by the rules and everything will be okay. People don't believe that anymore. When you see that during this pandemic, when literally everybody in the fucking country is suffering massively, and then you have this one tiny group of people, the billionaires, who are getting phenomenally more wealthy, that's going to breed resentment. People are going to say, go fuck yourself. So it doesn't matter how much... Oh, and people... People's takeaway from that being the facts are we need to redistribute because if it's not a meritocracy and we're really not even in the process of trying to make it more of a meritocracy, what's the only way to ameliorate that? Take some from the assholes who were fucking profiting the whole time and redistribute it to people in, yeah. in whatever form, UBI checks, healthcare, you name it. So it's just th- the game is not going to work anymore. It doesn't Your tricks won't work anymore. Your propaganda, your buzzwords where you try to get people to be against their own interests. It's not going to work anymore. And that's exactly how that Trump statement hit me, where he's trying to break out everything he's got. Bring out the vague populist rhetoric, bring up some cancel culture stuff, say China a thousand times, and hope this works. And the criticism is so dumb because the real criticism of the infrastructure bill he's critiquing is... It doesn't go far enough. It's right. He spent... Biden proposes $2.25 trillion. Fucking Joe Manchin's for four trillion, the right. most conservative Democrat in the Senate, and there was a 2017 report that found that just to upgrade our infrastructure, as of 2017, it was 4.7 trillion dollars. That was back then. Right, not Bur- to do anything new, just to like adequately take- upgrade it. Yeah, and so we're nowhere near where we need to be. Bernie's plan when he ran for president was 16 trillion for an infrastructure. Biden's deal. plan was seven. Biden's plan right. was and seven. Instantly collapses and now, on that. Right, before he even tries to negotiate. I mean, it's just, it's a so incredibly pathetic. And this one, I just, I'm like beating a dead horse on this because I keep talking about it, but I think it says so much. When they passed the relief bill and everybody was like, you know, all these even progressives were like, this is the most transformational legislation. And the thing that they would always point to was the child tax credit. Mm -hmm. And there was one study that said this would cut childhood poverty by half, which is great. I mean, could just eliminate it altogether, Mm -hmm. but half is still pretty good. Right. So the the assumption there was it's only for one year, but they're certainly going to extend it. They're going to make it. Just trust us. Like they're just starting with this, but it's going to be so politically popular. There's no way they'll be able to get rid of it. Maybe that'll still be the case. But they had thought about they were going to put it in this reconciliation bill. And before they even bring it out of the gates, they pull that piece already. They are. They admitted that this is wildly politically popular, that it's wildly transformational. And before they even get one word of pushback, they pull it out of the thing after we had all been assured, oh, 100 percent, they're going to go forward with this indefinitely. And already it's gone. Well, it's like the $15 minimum wage. Same thing. We were promised that. And then they're just like. Oops, didn't make it in the final bill. What are you going to do? And we're not going to fight for it either. Go fuck yourself. Tee-hee. No, we, we promise we're really going to fight for it later. Just not yeah. right now. Or just, like just test us. the new report, Schumer's trying to get in the next reconciliation bill. If you read the article, the article's like, we're going to ask the parlamentarian again. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> so you're not trying. You're going to get no again. You're, you're going to go, okay. okay, I'm sorry to have bothered you. I'm going to go back and sit over there and play with my stapler. Um, yes. So, yeah, anyway. So obviously, everyone's ridiculous. That's right. the bottom line. The main takeaway is that all <laughs> these criticisms coming from the right and from Trump, they're so hollow because, you know, none of, they're, none of them are substantive criticisms. The argument is like, 
blah, the infrastructure plan is bad because of China and something and globalism and whatever. And it's like, do you have anything coherent to say? He could have he could have released a statement that said you should have done five trillion and it should have been created X number yeah. more jobs, but he didn't do it because he's a fucking idiot. Do you think that if Biden, I, it's very unclear whether this package or anything like it will actually get through because the the moderates are all pissed off that the salt cap thing is. I know, big, right? Which is so. I mean, the that, tax again, cut for the rich it would be totally yeah. ridiculous mm-hmm. that these Democrats are going to the mat over a tax cut that is for wealthy, for the wealthy people. people right. um, the same exact people who last time around were going to the mat to make sure fewer people got the $1,400 checks. These people are just, I can't wrap my head around what their ideology is. But anyway, so unclear whether this infrastructure thing actually gets through. But if it does, I mean, do you think that this, that will get under Trump's skin, that he had this joke of reoccurring joke of infrastructure week over and over and over again? And it would have been the simplest thing possible to get through and he just never got around to it. I think fucking everything gets under that man's skin. Yeah. I think he's the biggest dick-measuring motherfucker on the planet. Mm. Anything Biden does, any executive order, any piece of legislation, I'm sure on the day that that $1.9 trillion legislation passed, Trump was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my legacy. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. that's the kind of guy he is. He's the kind of guy who's like, anytime my name is anywhere, I want it on my desk, whether it's a newspaper, magazine, whatever. I want to see every time my name is mentioned, and he's going to compare every single thing yeah you know that's just who he is and it's funny because this same exact in an alternate universe the same exact infrastructure package could have been trump's opening bid like if Mm -hmm. he actually meant what he said on the campaign trail some this is a very like business world friendly you know middle of the road yeah infrastructure kind of a, he could have started with this and that looks like a very different presidency ultimately than what he did yes and what does this show us this shows us that now today's democrats are the 80s republicans and the republicans as chris hedges says are insane right like that's what it is the democrats have now become the republicans and the republicans are somewhere playing with their feces in the corner <laughs> you know <laughs> That's the reality of it. Anyway, on that awesome note, (laughs) we can cut this off and uh, hop right into our interview. So I'm really excited. I know Crystal's really excited. We are being joined by somebody who's a phenomenal YouTuber. She has a really passionate and devoted following. So many people are real stands for our next guest. And uh, so anyway, without further ado, here's June, a.k.a. Shoe on Head. June, so great to see you. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. Thank you for uh, doing this with us this week. I actually, so I don't actually know that much about you and like how you got into the YouTube space. What are the things that really make you tick? So give us a little bit of like a top line overview of the shoe on head origin story. Um, well, I started off, um, critiquing like culture war stuff back in 2014. Um, You know, like, there was this era of this very, like, fake, woke kind of, like, corporate feminism that, like, exploded, um, you know, in, like, 2013, 2014. And, like, I would critique stuff like that, like BuzzFeed, Cosmopolitan. Um, For example, there was this thing called Shirtgate. I don't know if you remember this, but this um, scientist, Matt Taylor, um, he... He, like, landed a probe on a moving asteroid, which was, like, a huge feat for somebody Mm -hmm. to do. But when he wanted to talk about it, like, in a speech, um, 
he wore a shirt that had a bunch of like cartoon sci-fi sexy ladies on it and every article about what he did turned into like oh he's a sexist like this is why women don't join stem stuff like that (laughs) and so um what happened was like the press journalists like all these like fake woke sort of like feminists online bought this grown man to tears and um that for example is the stuff that i would like critique and kind of like talk about and um eventually that evolved into politics like i didn't even know that i was doing something like political at the time and um and it just like evolved into politics like at the time um i was just a normal like democrat kind of voter like i didn't know much about politics like i voted for obama because like i thought he was like cool that's about it right Um, yeah now my knowledge of politics was zero i knew the republicans were the bad guys the democrats the democrats were the good guys like that was my knowledge of politics back then um but like the culture war critique eventually turned into like political critique um once i started moving out of just culture war stuff and into like economics like actual policy and stuff like that and which caused kind of like a riff in our community Uh, Um, because when you critique stuff like feminism and stuff, you find yourself surrounded by people you wouldn't normally agree with. Um, So there was a lot of like right-wing people in our community. And once I started talking about like, you know, Bernie Sanders, who I voted for in 2016 and then became a Bernie buster, didn't vote after that. Um, And so there was like this riff between the right and the left in our community. And um, because like when you're anti something, so like anti-woke, anti-culture like war stuff, um, it's easy to like find yourself surrounded by people like that. But then once you start to talk about what you're pro, it's like you see the divide mm. in that community. And that's where I am now. It's like I'm talking about more political stuff, like real politics, as opposed to just like, the stuff that now the GOP focuses on primarily. Mm. It's yeah, like the cultural, like, like Dr. Mr. Seuss Potato or Head. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like all they focus on because their policies are terrible. Um, yeah, so that's where I am now. It's more um, like policy focused. Yeah. <laughs> so um, to what extent did Bernie's 2016 run serve as like an enlightenment moment for you that got you a little bit more focused on the policy conversation and the economic stuff and the foreign policy stuff you know over like the culture war stuff was it bernie's first run that sort of gave you the um courage or the insight to dive more into stuff like that it was definitely the start of it like i was immediately into Bernie. Um, I actually found out who he was in 2015 when I took a test online to see like which candidate I'd like the best. And it was like, oh, I got Bernie Sanders. I was like, who is this? So I looked more into him. And the first thing I saw was him on the Senate floor, that real, that great speech he did about war. And he's like, who are you afraid? Who are you afraid of? Who's going to attack us? I don't know if you've seen that before. He's like, we're not in, we're not in a war with anyone. Um, and I've never saw a politi- uh, politician talk like that before. It was like, before that, I thought, you know, politics is boring. Like, like I, all politicians are these just like stuck up people in suits. And I never saw a politician talk like Bernie before. And I was like immediately like, oh, this guy's awesome. And I looked more into him. 
and I started to be like, you know what, there's more to politics and life than like the culture war. And um, that was the start of it. It wasn't like I didn't go full into politics after that, but that was definitely it opened my eyes to like maybe I should start caring about like the country and everything. So like it was definitely the start. And I always say like if Bernie didn't come first, if I didn't like get swooped up in the Bernie hype, I'm scared that back then I would have got swooped up into the Trump hype if Bernie oh. never came along. And that scares me to think about because like at the time, um, in 2016, a lot of my friends were like Trump people. And um, cause you know, he was like the anti-establishment guy. Like, and if you remember back then, that was like the thing. Um, and so I always think about like, oh, I'm so glad that that didn't happen. But you know, I, I'm so scared that it might have, um, just because like the thing that got me into Bernie was just how he wasn't very a politician. He was more like a very real person, and that's the facade that Trump put on too at first. So I always think about that and just it's horrifying. So I'm really glad Bernie got me first. Yeah, I mean that's actually really. I think it's very. Like, it's very honest that you have that level of sort of self-insight to know that there were some things there with Trump that could have spoken to you at that yeah, moment like, and you could have just sort of, like, fallen into it. Mm -hmm. Which I think also, I mean, one of the things that characterizes some of your commentary in your videos, et cetera, is you don't like to go down the path of, like, let me just vilify and demonize every single person mm -hmm. who votes a different way, who voted for Donald Trump, who maybe saw some of those things in him that a more naive shoe mm -hmm. might have also seen in yes, him. Yes, exactly. But um, I also think it's interesting, you were saying your initial kind of like jump into the political space, even though you didn't even think of it that way, was to rebut the corporate feminism of the time. I mean, that was the era when I was at MSNBC, 2013, 2014, yes. I was there. I'm probably one of the people that would have like annoyed the shit out of you <laughs> at the time. Um, although I have to say in my defense, I always had more of like a working class feminist focus. Mm -hmm. I didn't just get taken in with the identity yeah. politics piece of it in yeah. my defense. But I think it says something interesting about your personality that you were like, just kind of go with the flow, mainstream Democrat vote for Barack Obama. But then on this one issue, you were like, hold up a second. We're really getting taken for a ride here. Where do you yeah. think that that came from? So, like, I would one of the most the biggest things that annoyed me back then was the fact that a lot of the people who were against me, who were like who would try to, like, dox me or like harass me and stuff for like being against feminism, uh, quote, quote, um, were other liberals, like other Democrats. And to me, that was kind of like. I was like, guys, wait, we're on the same side. Like, you don't think this is annoying, too? It was very, very frustrating. Um, and, yeah, like, just just the fact that I thought these people would be, would also think these things were annoying um, that I saw. And um, I made a lot of, like, enemies on the left, and it was very, it was, it was a strange phenomenon. Um it definitely – Crystal's right that it says something about you that you're able to – because a lot of people, when they get dogpiled by a group, all of a sudden they just define themselves as against yes, whoever was dogpiling them. Mean, yeah. Like, um, so, yeah, go like ahead. a Dave Rubin, like the left was mean to me, so right. now I'm right. Like, yeah, left was mean to me, now poor happened. people don't deserve health care. Exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So I want to go beat to me. So now I'm against Bernie. (laughs) I want to go back to something you said about Bernie or bust, because this was, you know, this was the big conversation in Mm -hmm. um, 2016 when it came to the general election, when it was clear that Bernie uh, wasn't going to make it. Um, I remember engaging in debates at the time, and some people accused me of being a little bit Weasley with my take on this, but I just think I'm just being honest and they don't like what I'm saying, but I always describe myself as sort of like half Bernie or bust. And what I mean Mm -hmm. by that is I would proactively make the arguments that I did think Hillary Clinton was a lesser evil based on if you go through the policy record and you go through the policy prescriptions, you know, you could say Hillary Clinton on a test gets a 23% out of a hundred, but I, in my estimation, Trump got like a 13%. 13%. And it's mm-hmm. like, they both failed, but yes, one is better. And, but I always was very sympathetic to the Bernie or bust position because I saw the logic of it in the sense that the big ticket issues were mm-hmm. things that Hillary got wrong reliably, like the Iraq yeah. war, like the Patriot yeah. Act, you name it. So I never really cast judgment on people who were full Bernie or bust. And actually, I didn't even end up voting for Hillary Clinton anyway, because I live in New York. So I guess you could say I'm Bernie or yeah, bust. So do but, I. Yeah. Right. So... But anyway, so my question for you is, looking back at that time, do you still feel like you were 100% justified in the burning your bus position? Or do you feel like, hey, maybe I missed a little bit of nuance? Or do you feel like, yeah, I probably should have voted for her? What do you think? Well, I was less educated um, politically back then than I am now. Um, So I think, I don't know, I just hate Hillary still. But um, with the way the Trump presidency played out, I think I could have been way more nuanced about it. Mm. Um, Like this time around, I voted for Joe Biden and I'm coping with that every single day. Every time he does something bad, I'm just like, oh, I can't believe I did it. I told myself. That's like somebody else I know, Crystal. Yeah. (laughs) I told myself. And I live in a sort of swing state in Virginia, Mm -hmm. so my vote actually counts for something. Yeah, that's understandable then. I'm surrounded by these lib cucks. (laughs) Vote for corporate Democrats. (laughs) Fuck out of (laughs) here. Like, um, it's just like, yeah, I'm coping with that every single day. Um, (laughs) oh, wait, I forgot where I was going with this. Sorry. Um, my ADHD, I'm, I'm so bad at keeping on track. I'm so sorry. You got any extra Adderall med? Do you have Adderall? I'll take some. <laughs> <Yeah. if you laughs> have. That's, talk that's about my that favorite. After the interview. Yeah, we'll talk about drugs after. Anyway, Crystal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you had that moment of you started to get into Bernie's campaign, you started talking more about what you're for, more about policy and less just like, fuck the feminist. Not that that was yeah. your, I'm sure t- your take was a lot more nuanced. And you no, started to see- about it. it was pretty yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> so you start to see this divide within your community of followers. What was that like? And have I mean, it seems to me like there were a good number of people, though, that stuck with you, even though you started saying things that they didn't necessarily 100 percent agree with. Um, Well, a lot of my community moved with me, like moved left with me. I've taken like surveys of my audience and it's like insane. Like from 2016, I was like, oh, what was your position back then? What's your position now? And almost everyone moved further left since then. Wow. Which is like really really interesting. That's, you know, that's a great testament to you. And it's also (laughs) a great, and it's also a great rebuttal to this like, oh, you're a gateway to the alt-right. You're actually gateway away from that. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I get emails and comments and tweets and stuff all the time like, oh, Shu, like you moved me further left. Um, you got me interested in like Bernie Sanders, for example. Um, I was a Trump voter and now I'm not. Like every single day I get all of these messages like that, just literally from critiquing the culture war, but from a more left wing position. Because online you get it's mostly right-wing people who are like talking about all this stuff. So I try to hit it from what used to be a more centrist position, more liberal, and now more leftist soak them kind of position. Um, and so that really attracts people because they don't really see a lot of that. Um, and so you get them in with topics like that they're interested in and you wind up not very intentionally, but, you wind up changing their mind about a lot of things because they see like, oh, I don't have to. Like one of the weirdest phenomenons online is um, this thing where the culture war kind of sucks in people and they don't really care about policy much. It's like, oh, I'm annoyed at this. Let's just let's just take the um, Dr. Seuss thing, for example. Mm -hmm. Let's say someone sees the Dr. Seuss thing and they're like, oh, this is ridiculous. This was my childhood, you know? Like, what is the left doing? You know, I must be right-wing since I'm annoyed at this. And people get kind of sucked into that thinking they must be right-wing. And that's not true. Like, you could be annoyed at things like that, even though the Dr. Seuss thing is a terrible example because it was just, like, the company deciding that. But, yeah, um, yeah. but you know, like, people get sucked up into that and they assume, like, oh, I must be right-wing because the left is out of control. And it's not really the left doing these things. It's just usually just, like, woke corporations and, like, stupid stuff like that that the left is also annoyed at. And so they get sucked up into this and it's so interesting when they snap out of it and they're just like, oh, I didn't know that you could be left wing and you could also be annoyed at, you know, corporate feminism and you can also be annoyed at stuff like that. And it's just, yeah, it's very interesting yeah. too. And, it's, and the, the writer also just total hypocrites on this anyway, because yeah. <laughs> they immediately were pro cancel culture and like mad at Lil Nas X for releasing a Satan shoe. <laughs> It's like, yeah. he, first of all, he's just trolling you. Second of all, even if he wasn't trolling you and he was like a Satanist or something, who gives a fuck? <laughs> who cares? But they were like, like Christy, Kirsten or Christy Noam or whatever, the governor of yeah, South Dakota Christy was like, he should be canceled. It's like, like you, you were just talking <laughs> all for the past like three months about how I'm against cancel culture and yeah. I'm pro free speech. Um, so I want to ask you, Shu, I, I read that at one point, from a previous channel you had, you basically deleted all your videos and then you went to go work at Macy's at the makeup section. So uh -huh. is that true, number one? And then number two, if it is true, how did that impact your political evolution, if at all? Uh, well, my, my um, shoe on head was like a vlog channel at first where I would like do, you know, regular not lifestyle vlogs, but mostly I would like make up stories about my life. Like, guys, this crazy thing happened. This was like in 2010. Um, Cause my life was very boring. And yeah, I like, I worked at a makeup counter. I had like a few jobs, um, just jobs like that. And I kind of like left the internet for a little while. And um, no, I was very, like very normal, very normal person. And then what happened was um, when I was working at the makeup counter, I was more of, like, a Facebook person at the time. And me and my friends, like, we ran, like, meme pages. And uh, what happened was a lot of those meme pages on Facebook kind of got, like, invaded by 
the woke type people and like mm. they were like wagging their fingers at our jokes and stuff like that and i was like what mm. is going on where did this come from this was 2010 2011 2012 all of a sudden there was this like influx of like you can't make that joke that's sexist that's racist and they were just like very normal jokes and so that started like opening my mind to a lot of this like culture war stuff while i was working while i was being a very normal facebook type person <laughs> and that's when i made my first video that's when i came back to youtube and I made my first video that was basically like, what is going on, you guys? Wow, this is crazy. Everyone's so offended all the time. And I called it the Oppression Olympics or something. Yeah. Wait, and, so wait, um, you came up with that term? Oppression Olympics? I thought I did, but apparently I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's it. like a big, it's I've a heard that term. a million times. Yeah. <laughs> people, mm -hmm. people said it before me at the time. I thought I made it up, but... I don't know, I didn't, and when I started talking about this stuff, nobody else, well, not nobody, but it was kind of a very niche thing to talk about, and, like, I had people, like, finding out where I work, and, oh. like, trying to get me fired for oh, just saying stuff like that, and, like, yeah, I got, someone said, like, oh, she's suicidal, like, they called my boss, and my boss had to, like, pull me in and be like, are you okay? It was, like, so weird. Um, yeah, and, like, at the time, believe it or not, this stuff was rare to talk about. There were only a handful of channels that I didn't even know existed talking about the woke culture. And now you have Donald Trump on stage repeating things that I've said in like 2014. And it's just insane and scary, actually. Like, how did this happen in the span of like six years or so? Um, yeah. Did you find Let's... an instant audience, though, for that viewpoint? Like, you'd sort of, oh, no. I mean, you just ran randomly came out and gave this take. Did it get taken up a lot? Did it take a while for people to start to find your channel? What was that like? So I was originally going to upload it to Facebook, not YouTube. And I always wonder, like, how would the timeline play out if I did that? Um, and so... I kind of, like, I uploaded it on my YouTube channel and I left it alone for a few days. I didn't even check comments or anything because my channel was dead. I was like, I'm going to rant. I'm going to vent because I just need to vent. Like, I I, I, do, I wasn't looking to, like, get famous or blow up or anything. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to leave this on my channel. And a few days later, I come back. And it's, like, all downvoted. All the comments are negative. It's like, oh, she has daddy issues and, like, uh, oh, <laughs> like, oh, you just want boys to notice you and, like, what? all this, like... Yeah, just for critiquing, like, the feminist stuff. Um, <laughs> it was, like... Yeah, I, it was, I, hold on. I love, I love the irony of, like, that's such an anti-feminist take, that you have I daddy know. issues and just want boys to I notice know. you. <laughs> the so feminists are, was, are coming forward with this take. Go ahead. So that was the audience at first. It was just all people who hated me. It was just, like, it, just <laughs> all hate comments. I'm like, okay, what's going on? So I actually turned off comments and likes for a little while, which is funny to think about. So I would never do that now. But, um... Because at the time, I was like, whoa, this is, like, a lot to take in. I didn't mean for this to happen. And then a bigger channel picked me up and was like, whoa, this girl's speaking truth. And, like, all of a sudden, it blew up with, like, positive comments. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But, yeah, the audience um came in because, like, nobody else was really talking about this, especially a woman. So I had, like, that, oh, it's our token woman. Like, look, everybody, talking about the stuff we're all so mad about, which is, like, a little weird to think about now. But, like, it was, yeah, it was very, <laughs> it was very crazy. It's interesting but to see that you really have 
like it almost sounds like your origin story could have easily become, you know, you could have become like whatever gun girl, conservative, whatever, you know, but it's really interesting that you started in this kind of just anti-social justice warrior way and then eventually just became a full on Bernie Sanders supporting mm-hmm. social Democrat. And actually, you know what it reminds me of? And Crystal won't get these references because but me and you were too online, June, but I don't think you'll get these references. It reminds me of like TJ Kirk, the amazing atheist yes. versus like Sargon of Akkad. Yes. Sargon well, of Akkad <laughs> lost his mind. Right. And TJ Kirk still sort of kept true to leftist mm-hmm. views, even though he was anti woke and whatever, yes. you know. So I was actually going to name drop those two, but I wasn't sure if anybody would get it. So, <laughs> so Sargon, the Sargon camp was actually, are actually the people who like call me a communist now because I started talking about actual policy and economics and stuff ex- instead of the culture war. And now they're like, oh, she's a communist. Like what? I know. They got nothing. They have <laughs> absolutely nothing. Insane. So, like, oh, sorry. I care about poor people now. I guess I'm a communist. Yeah. Sorry. I'm not doing culture war 24 seven. That's the thing is like. They, they don't understand that the anti-culture war thing can be just as obnoxious and annoying as yeah. the people. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. You're against, like, the wokeness. But at some point, the anti-woke sound just like the woke in terms of how obsessed they are with it and how they talk about it nonstop, you know? Um, so let me ask yeah. you this. You mentioned before how, like, you know, you turned off comments and stuff for a while early on and, like, you got away from the Internet. Do you feel that? We've had this conversation, too. Do you feel that you, like, are able to be more sane if you totally mm. unplug from the Matrix and get away from it? Because I don't I'm notorious for not reading anything anybody sends me at all. doesn't matter if you could email me, you could call me, you could whatever. I don't I'm never going to see it. Like, I'm basically mm-hmm. siloed away to keep my sanity. Mm-hmm. Do you feel the same way or how, how does that affect you? Oh, So in 2014, when I turned off comments for like a week, uh, that was, I think, the last time I've ever unplugged from the internet. (laughs) I'm just extremely online. And I actually like kind of thrive off of it, though, like the negative comments and stuff now. I kind of turn it into a form of entertainment. Like I'm kind of like a clown for my audience. So like... I'll like screen cap negative comments and stuff and I'll make it into a video like reacting to crazy comments and stuff and people love it. And so I've kind of flipped it um, into this thing that it doesn't like hurt my feelings or anything. Now I'm just like excited when I get like just this weird hate, like calling me a commie and stuff and daddy issues and whatever. Like I just I'm like, yes, and I screen cap it and I save it for like a video. Um, So I feel like that's kind of like a healthy well maybe not (laughs) way to like deal with it but i'm stronger than me i'm so plugged in uh it's ridiculous like crystal knows she has um apparently she has notifications on for when i tweet which is horrifying Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and so like i'm just on twitter constantly i think it's partially my attention span and partially just like that's where most of the ideas for my content come from it's just a very (laughs) very fun to like um, collect all of the the hate and the crazy stuff I get, but good for you for unplugging though. I could never. No, I'm, I I'm, I'm like a snowflake. Your... I'm a snowflake, yeah, and I, I need same. to protect my fifis. That's why I do it. You know, <laughs> I think you're stronger for taking it head on. No, I actually feel the same way. Like I just avoid it because, you know, it's actually like 
the overwhelming majority of the criticism that I get, I'm just like, whatever, I don't care. But there will always be that one thing that mm. somehow somebody knows the thing to say that's going to like yeah. bug you, make you question yourself, get under your skin. How did you like, did you do you still have that at all? Or oh how did God, you get to the place where you're able to just laugh it all off? Because I think so that's actually an amazing place to be. So I'll get like thousands of nice comments and then there'll be like one that actually like hits me and like I think about it all day. <laughs> it's just like, it's so annoying. But um, I don't know. I'm kind of so numb to it. I've been online for over a decade now, just just completely plugged in to the Matrix. And so it's kind of like, I'm kind of just numb to it. It's, I'm like calloused. So like none of it is real to me. Like just this barrage of hate and stuff it's like it just kind of rolls off my back now but there always is like like you said that one thing that will get you and like you're just up at night like just like how did they know that like right because it's something that you've maybe like questioned about yourself yes, it, that's exactly. usually the ones that hit like a little too close to home and you're like fuck mm -hmm. maybe that person sees mm -hmm. my real like how i really am trash like, you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> You guys are hard on yourself. Um, so let me ask you this. Is it true that your dream was to be a movie director, number one? And then number two, if that's true, did you were you able to scratch the itch of that by doing these new videos where now you're talking to people out there in the field and then afterwards you can kind of put it together in, in an interesting package? Um, well, when I was a kid, I was that kid that would like haul around my giant eight millimeter camera and like film all my friends and make movies with them and stuff like that um and so I always wanted to make movies that was my thing and I went to college um for like I went first for liberal arts and then I got into like movie production and in college I found out well I'm not actually good at directing um I can't like make the image in my mind become a reality. I can't direct people. I'm not good at it. Um, so I kind of got more into script writing, like writing scripts, um, which I still enjoy doing. Um, I love writing my videos and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but so when YouTube became a thing, I immediately jumped on it because it was like, oh, I can share the videos I make? Me. I could like show my family. Um, so yeah, it did kind of scratch the itch of being like a movie director in a way, even though they're just stupid vlogs in front of a webcam. It's still, I still get to edit. I still get to write. Um, so yeah, it's almost like having my dream job in a way. So that is really neat. I'm really happy about it. <laughs> I mean, your stuff is extremely creative though. I don't think you give yourself enough credit when you're like, oh, it's just a vlog in front of a webcam because it... it <laughs> It is. It's extremely creative. I just watched your recent, most recent Hell World, which was oh, hilarious yes. and extremely well done. What is kind of like your process? How long does it take you to put it together? How does that, how does the, it all, like, how are all the pieces made? Mm -hmm. Well, the Hell World series is like usually three months worth of Whoa. news. Wow. Oh, no, 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 not not editing and making it but like collecting everything for it i'll wait like three months i'll collect all the news the funniest stories the worst stories and stuff like that and then i'll put it all together and like one video it doesn't take too long to make but it it takes a lot of time to like put together and write the script and stuff um as for yeah, editing so and film it's like not so insane it's amount of I'm sorry. sorry, I keep cutting you off. I think we have, like, a slight delay. Um, 
It's interesting. You said you love writing your videos. I know Crystal too, you know, Crystal writes her radars and she definitely, mm -hmm. you, you know, you get a creative, you can scratch the creative itch that way. I wonder like, this is just more of a me musing out loud than asking a question, but like, I wonder what that is because whatever that is, I don't have that. Like I'm more of the person who, if you put me live, I do a lot better than if I'm not live and I'm a lot better when I'm shooting from the hip and I just have like some bullet points or whatever. I'm much better. Like if I ever, which I'm not going to do, but if I ever ran for some sort of office, I wouldn't mm -hmm. need a scriptwriter. I would just have bullet points and I'd go out there and I'd be like Trump. And I'd just be like, yeah, this guy over here, what this guy doing and what's going on over here? And it's funny to me, like, <laughs> what is, what is the thing that you have and then that you have June that it's like, you know, you want to write it and sort of clean it up that way. Cause I write like I'm, half dead like i'm um, in second grade or something it's not true by that the way, is true i've seen his writing <laughs> go ahead Dude, what are your thoughts i'm the complete opposite as you can tell i'm so bad at live things i'm bad at live streams i'm bad at anything live um and i feel like that's it for a lot of people like some I, except for maybe like crystal she seems to be good at both but like some people are just better at off the cuff and other people are better at like writing um mm. and then doing there but I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I just I enjoy it. I think it's fun. I I can like um, I can organize my thoughts better. Like when they're written out, uh, sometimes my brain doesn't catch up with my mouth, and so like it's difficult for me to be off the cuff. But Kyle, I didn't know you didn't write your stuff. It's like incredibly good. You just go off the cuff like that. That's interesting. That's, you're the second person that said that to me. The other person, remember Katie Halper said that to yeah. me? She thought I wrote. I'm like, I can't believe that anybody thinks I write it because I'm liable to like throw in some fart noises and go like beep, 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 when I'm on air. Like, you think I wrote that into the script? Like, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Who would choose to write that? <laughs> I think for me, um, and it's really nice for you to notice that I'm amazing at everything too, but, um, <laughs> and by the way, you are good at off the cuff and you are good at live, even though you may not feel that way. And the reason you're good at it is because you're honest and vulnerable. And that's honestly really, I think all that it takes. It's true. That's, it. that's all it takes. It's, yeah. That's mm -hmm. all it takes. Like you don't have to be perfectly put together package, you know, with Harvard graduate level of discourse. The fact that you're honestly sorting through things in real time, I think is very extremely compelling. But for me, I like the writing process because it, I find it helps me creatively. Like you said, it helps me organize mm -hmm. my thoughts. It also helps me to realize places where I have a hole in my thinking like where I haven't, you know, if I'm building the case and making the argument, I'm more likely to come up with the areas that I haven't actually fully thought through mm -hmm. or where I'm weak or I don't have the data to back it up. But then I also think it comes from a place of being like a sort of like obsessive control freak yeah. and really super concerned with being perfect all the time, like mm -hmm. overly concerned with it, you know, making mm -hmm. sure I say it in exactly the way that it needs to be said. Yes. So I think for me, at least, it comes from a little bit of that place where, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, on Rising, we do most of what we do is actually off the cuff and just talking about stories and going back and forth. And I also mm -hmm. find that format for me, I think I work better bouncing off of somebody versus just yes. me straight to camera. So with whether it's with Kyle or with Saga or with anyone mm -hmm. else. But um, but yeah, if I had to choose, I feel like 
the best space for me is written out and planned and mm-hmm. delivered because I just I have a more sort of thorough thought process when I do that. Mm-hmm. Like when I when I look back at this, for example, I'm going to be like, oh, I should have said this. I should have done that. I should have like expanded on that. Um, and I hate that. And that's why I like writing. It's because I can just like I can go back to it. Like I'll I'll make notes on my phone for like weeks. I'll come back to it. I'll add things. I'll delete things. And that will just become a script over time. Mm-hmm. And with off the cuff stuff, it's like, damn, I should have done that. I should have done this. And yeah, it's very frustrating. So I like commend anybody who's just good at live stuff because it is just one of my weak points. Yeah. I, I, f- <laughs> I feel like when you put me on the spot is when I'm more likely to say the thing that I, I believe and in a compelling way. Whereas if you mm-hmm. give me the time and the space to like sit down and write it out, I feel like I almost make it more convoluted. Sort of overthink it. Yeah, overthink <laughs> it. It's more convoluted. It's and, and I the other thing is I I don't fucking know where to put a comma and where to put a period and where to put other shit. Like I feel like I'm making it up as oh, I go neither along. Do I. It's it's all run on. It's, yeah, exactly. You, you, you yeah, so. but when you're delivering it, it doesn't matter. The grammar doesn't matter. That's true. Yeah. But like my my cadence is like a talking cadence when you try to translate that into writing, it doesn't it doesn't transfer in my opinion i know you think i'm a good writer you're the only person on the planet who thinks i'm a good writer (laughs) anyway um so uh, let's get to some of the other stuff that we were going to talk about today um i haven't i sort of gave my theory on what happened with matt gates on my show i know you did on yours we had talked about it a lot and then we both had the same take. right we had a very similar take So um, anyway, I'll, I'll just tell you what I think is going on there, June, and then you can tell me what you think about okay. it. So Matt Gates, by the way, I do think it was kind of sleazy and grimy that the way it was portrayed in the media was like child sex trafficking charges. Mm-hmm. Because when I think child sex trafficking, I think there's like some toddlers with tape over their mouths and their hands tied up in the back of a van. That's what I think when I hear child sex trafficking, mm-hmm. that like you're selling a kid into child sex slavery. I'm going to defend the media on this one. Well, go what, ahead. Okay, but let me just say, what they meant was he was potentially dating or having sex with a 17-year-old mm-hmm. girl, which is still unacceptable. That's still, mm-hmm. that's statutory rape, right? That's illegal. Mm-hmm should be illegal and all that. But I'm just saying that perhaps that would have been a more accurate headline than child sex trafficking. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so what I think happened is Matt Gates um, is, is probably doing something sketchy, like having sex with a 17-year-old or frequenting swingers clubs or whatever, and there are mm-hmm. underage women there, or ones who are just barely legal or whatever. He's probably doing something creepy. But then I also sort of believe him that he's also getting extorted, that somebody mm-hmm. figured out that he has some some skeletons in his closet, and then they're like, well, let's just hold that mm-hmm. against him and hold it over his head and try to get paid as a result of it. Do you agree with my take on that, or what do you think happened? Yeah, so my opinion is it might be both, like you said. Um, obviously, we don't know. We have to wait but um my exposure to all of this my exposure to this entire story was the tucker interview where tucker was just like okay we have matt gates and just right off the bat matt was like um so the uh there's no child prostitutes uh no baby hookers you guys uh just just so you know like right off the bat just like that was insane it just like blew my mind like what is happening he's like i'm being extorted for 25 million dollars i was like what is happening um so yeah, I think it's like might be a bit of both. It's my opinion that all of these politicians, they all have blackmail on each other, like all of them. They mm. are all involved in weird scandals and they all have blackmail on each other. And that's just, that's what I think. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see. Um, 
and people people like like what Kyle said like oh like child trafficking or whatever um people forget like a lot of the victims from Epstein were also like 16 17 15 like they weren't literal children so it it is still like you know child trafficking um yeah why are you defending epstein right now what's up with that no i'm not saying kyle's doing that (laughs) their (laughs) argument though was that if he flew the 17 year old out on a plane or paid for a hotel that that's child sex trafficking all right hold on let me add let me add into the mix the latest developments which make this thing even more convoluted um and just to like back up on the time the first thing that came out was he apparently put out to the press like thinking of leaving congress and going to newsmax and everyone's like that's kind of interesting and then maybe an hour later new york times drops a story that's like oh by the way he's under investigation by the doj for child sex trafficking an investigation which started under donald trump by the way so this isn't some sort Mm -hmm. of political persecution thing he goes on tucker he brings out this whole thing about i'm really being extorted my dad is wearing a wire and the fbi needs (laughs) to release the tapes and also in that interview which was hilarious he kept trying to bring Tucker into yeah, it. Yeah, he threw him under the bus like, like three you, times. You got accused of this when, shit. And yeah. he's like, remember when you, you and your wife met, met with me and my wife? Yeah, remember that? Tucker, and he's like, like, I don't know what you're uh, talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. And then even <laughs> after the interview, Tucker came back on to be like, that was weird. That was the weirdest interview I've oh ever done. So that happens. So the latest piece is now Gates has given to a journalist of the Washington Examiner the alleged extortion documents, text messages, and a letter from the extortion dudes. And what the extortion dudes say is, first of all, it's this is so convoluted. They want money from him, allegedly, to try to get Robert Levinson, who was an FBI agent who was lost in Iran, out of Iran. It's like, what? Okay, so that's the latest twist. But what they say is that This is, again, the extortion dude. So we're not taking their word that this is actually what's happening, but this is what they Mm -hmm. say, that the FBI became aware of compromising pictures depicting Congressman Gates and an election official involved in what they say is a sexual orgy with underage prostitutes in Florida. And then they also say that there is an underage girl who has testified to a grand jury that he paid her for sex. So that's what the extortion dudes are saying. But, I mean, I agree with you guys. It seems like the simplest explanation. We'll wait and see where the facts go. This is all really crazy and tangled, so who the hell knows what's going on? Mm -hmm. It seems like he did some sketchy shit, and he's also being extorted for it. Kind of seems like what's going on. Yeah, it's like a crazy movie plot happening. It's like this all blew up. I'm just like, wow, politics. It, it, I remember yeah. when I thought politics was boring. Crazy. Right. <laughs> well, and the thing is, too, Gates is a total asshole. Like, I've met yeah. this guy and I've interviewed him. Everyone hates him. And this is not an ideological thing. This mm-hmm. is like Democrats hate him. Republicans hate him. Republican leadership hates him. People in the Trump inner circle tried to keep him away from Trump because they hate him. He came into this was pre-COVID. This was a long time ago. He came into the rising studio and he was like, complaining that we didn't have enough options of tea in there and just being a total i mean this is just he's just a bad loathes like obnoxious person i have no idea that doesn't mean that he did anything criminal here but he's an asshole and so the other interesting part of this is like no one's coming to his rescue because they're all happy to let him twist in the wind right now Mm -hmm. yeah but but low-key though i think he's gonna throw everybody under the bus that's what i think because what do you mean i mean homeboy's a swinger 
and there are other creepy ass wingers in Washington D.C. Probably some Absolutely. other elected officials. Probably some people from intelligence agencies. That's why him saying that shit to Tucker was a sign. He was like, yeah. "I'm gonna throw your ass under the bus." Oh, that's interesting. And if anybody else wants to, you know, try to come after me on yeah. this, I know where all the bodies are buried, son. I know what all of you are into. You're all exactly. creepy fucks. I'm not the only one, and I'm gonna blow the whistle on all you. And if I go down, all you fuckers go down. Because that's the thing. Like, I do think that there's this weird, like, don't ask, don't tell thing in D.C. where they they're all into disgusting over the top shit and like they're making sure hey 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 we all got dirt on each other so like no one person can go down what do you think jude that's how it is um and that's also how it is just like any like the conservative commentary scene is almost the same thing they all have like dirt on each other so if one person like you know talks crap about another like they wouldn't dare do it because this person has blackmail on that person and that for like i i I know a lot and so like it's the same thing but on a smaller scale and that's how i really i think washington is like the same thing they all have dirt on each other and it would be very interesting if matt starts to like throw everybody under the bus and um yeah just complete dumpster fire um i'm really interested to see how this goes down (laughs) The other thing yeah. that everyone was pointing out was that he was the lone vo- vote against this yes. like sex trafficking bill in Congress, which is eyebrow raising. Very unfortunate for at him. At least he's now. not a hypocrite, though. <laughs> yeah. If he voted the other way, everybody would be like, "You're fucking hypocrite." hypocrite. He's yeah. like, "No, I'm open about the fact that this is what I'm like." <laughs> and then the other thing that was interesting is when uh, remember this Congresswoman Katie Hill. Mm. And there was a whole thing with, you know, she was a photos swinger. released. Yeah. She, was she was a swinger. swinger. She was in throuple, but then it involved, like, some of her aides, so that made it a little more complicated. Uh, he was incredibly outspoken in defending her, which yes. now, in retrospect, is also interesting. They were part of the same club, for sure, 100%. Yeah. There's some yeah. freaky shit going on in D.C. <laughs> they all know, know the building. Like you're giving them a little too much credit oh, for sorry. being interesting, though. Some eyes wide shut stuff happening. Yeah, it, it, but it's not. That's the thing. Like, it's not interesting. It's almost like it's almost like the super elitist thing to do, where it's like we go to these sex clubs and wear masks yes, and fuck exactly. each other terribly and come in two minutes. Like that's what we do. Like that's definitely what they do. Like, tell me, Matt Gates' big ass head freak boy is like. Yeah, he looks like a vill- He looks like a cartoon. I know villain. he does. He and by the way, like, th- this like really opens my eyes more to the Epstein shit. Like, I think everything about the Epstein shit now, I believe the most vituperative over-the-top <laughs> scenarios yeah. for Epstein. Go ahead, yeah. dude. Oh, he Matt, uh, he just looks like a Beavis and Butthead character. It's, <laughs> looks like a villain from The Purge. I know, like, you're, it's bad to, like, make fun of someone's appearance, but, yeah. <laughs> no, nah, we do that here. <laughs> we do that here. We make fun of ourselves, too, so it's okay. All right. Um... Not to change topics too abruptly now, but yesterday, at least yesterday as of when we're recording this, um, New York just legalized weed. And you're a New Yorker. I'm a New Yorker. So let me ask you, will you be partaking? And what are your thoughts on marijuana? I have only smoked a handful of times um, and tried brownies a handful of times. And I am... I am planning on making a video high to celebrate. Um, <laughs> like, like, I've, uh, like I've said, I do like hate comment videos, so I'm going to do one of those extremely high. Oh, that's amazing. Um, but I've never, like, uh, <laughs> people are like, oh, you should do a live stream high, and I would never do that because, like, every single time 
I get high. I go off on tangents about like the deep state and like stuff like that. So I know it's going to be just a disaster video and it's going to be really fun. But I am very pro legalizing marijuana, but not just because like, oh, dude, LOL, weed, I'm going to get high. But like just the fact that there's so many people in jail for marijuana. I think like um, I just read something yesterday, like 94% of people in jail for marijuana are people of color, too. In, in New, New York. York, I think. Was it New York or is that nationwide? I'm not sure. I think that's New York. That's but anyway, insane. continue. Uh, in New York, yeah, it's 94%, which is insane. And just the fact, I'm so glad that they're releasing people from prison for it, though, because I don't know. I don't know if all other states did it, though. I'm not. I don't think they have. Um, yeah, some of them some of them have legalized and and done criminal justice reform paired with it. Others have just legalized, I think. So it depends on the state. But I think Cuomo's doing it to distract from his scandals. What do you think of that? Um, I actually think that too, uh, partially. I know that Jersey did it before New York, and mm-hmm. I tweeted about it. And I was like jealous. Um, but I do think that it is kind of a distraction because he like killed a bunch of you know old people and like yep. and also and, and also harassed yeah. a thousand people. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and got a four million dollar book deal out of the whole thing Ugh. with that he had aids write like state employees write yeah. the fucking book that he got four million dollars for while he was killing grandma <laughs> the book um, is titled like let me tell you how i beat covid yeah it's and like he didn't leadership beat COVID. <laughs> lessons or something like that it should be called i killed grandma that should be the name yeah. of his book <laughs> disgusting person um well i've got some bad news for you guys because greg kelly of i guess he's with newsmax right has uh some informational wisdom for you about his weed smoking experiences he says smoking weed this was on twitter aka grass is not a good idea i've tried it back in the day and it was worse than anything that happened to hunter biden there's a lot of capitalization going on here too he says i toked up with some buddies in kentucky and woke up four days later in nairobi kenya with no idea what happened don't do drugs shoe so she take his wisdom to heart is that serious or is he joking? That's, I don't know. It's he posted it on Twitter, well, seemingly seriously. Greg Kelly's like trying to be like what Bill O'Reilly was to Fox News. He's trying to be that oh. to either Newsmax or One American News Network. I don't know which one he's on, but uh, no some I, Newsmax. I saw somebody float earlier today that they think it's possible he's like doing a long, a long-term mm-hmm. bit. Like his the whole guy, it's all a shtick. It's all like he's he doesn't really believe anything he's saying is is the point that the guy's making that it's like he's sort of just joking. in this instance or in general. No, in the whole thing, the whole persona. Because oh, no. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his show. It is like Twilight Zone stuff. Like he is yeah. beyond well, beyond the, the parody one, of the conservative. He's the one who did a whole segment on the Biden dog. That's what I'm saying, major. right? Yeah, yeah. He ridiculous. Was like, this isn't a presidential dog. Look yes. at it. It's mangy. It's not like yeah, you know, like, like a, presidential like a, dogs pass. This guy doesn't make the cut. Is he like an Alex Jones type where you're not sure if it's like a joke or not or like serious? Like Alex, I, I, be, I think Alex believes a lot of what he says and he's he like high as up. balls on cocaine 24-7, which makes him even more paranoid, which further <laughs> feeds his tremendous conspiracy theories. So I think, Alex, there's a grain of like, I kind of believe my nonsense. There's a chance this dude is like, he knows he's full of shit and he's mm-hmm. just playing a role. Apparently, I've heard stories behind the scenes, and you know better than me because you worked at MSNBC, but I've heard stories from other people who've been you know, behind the scenes there that 
at some of these, you know, get-togethers where you see people from the other networks that Sean Hannity actually is totally playing a character when he's on air. Like, he doesn't really believe half the shit he says. That he's very, like, he walked up to, like, Keith Olbermann or some shit and was like, hey, man, how's it going? Mm-hmm. Well, so here's what my observation was in the uh, media circles is, like, a lot of the people on MSNBC, as cringe as their takes often are, really do believe, like, they really do actually believe what they're saying. They mm-hmm. feel like they're in it for a cause, and they at least don't feel like they're just putting on a show. I've experienced a lot of the right-wing personalities. This is like, they view it as like, this is my job. This is a character I put on. And that doesn't mean that they don't necessarily believe a lot of what they say. Like, I think Sean Hannity, I've I've met him. I've been on his show. He does have this very sort of like affable, off-air personality, Mm -hmm. like, you know, American high school football guy (laughs) uh, kind of a personality that he has off-air too. Very nice to me when I was off-camera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I wouldn't say he doesn't believe any of the conservative things that he brings on air, but I do think they relate to it much more of like, this is the thing I need to do in the show that I put on for my work. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and we don't always, we don't really, I don't really take it that seriously, Mm -hmm. ultimately. Has that been your experience too, Shu? Oh my God. Okay. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. Conservative commentators in the YouTube scene, exactly the same. You meet them in person and they're like, oh, I don't even believe half the stuff I say. I just do it to like, you know entertain my audience it's like you you don't even know what you're doing you're making the divide so much worse by like you know doing this um a lot of them are way more progressive than they let on which is upsetting um (laughs) and then also way more like okay they'll get on camera and they'll be like the fall of the west you know degeneracy and then behind the scenes they're like going to parties like snorting cocaine off hookers butts like it's insane the contrast between like what they put on camera and like how they are behind the scene um yeah so So, same same exact experience yeah yeah. so let me let me name names here because you know i again hannity was one i heard from the official world Mm -hmm. from um from youtube I think, what was it, Blair White who blew the whistle on Crowder, I think it was, and basically said, like, this guy doesn't believe a fucking word of what he says because Blair White is trans and somewhat conservative, and apparently, <laughs> according to her, I think Crowder said to her off-air, like, I don't, I'm not even, I'm not even anti-trans. I, this is, I just say this shit yeah, on my show. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about, yeah. Right. So I'm not actually I'm not surprised by that one by Steven Crowder. I'm not surprised by that one that he's not like actually fully mm-hmm. believing everything he says. Um, and the other one, and I have personal experience with this one. Uh, and, and it's not that he doesn't necessarily believe it, but it's just the personality of this guy is incredibly troubling in a way that I don't know if I've ever experienced with anybody else in the YouTube scene. But Dave Rubin, Dave Rubin was a part of the Young Turks Network. I was friends with him back when he was with the Young Turks Network. And he's the only person in this industry, field, whatever you want to call it, that Mm -hmm. I had conversations with where I remember him telling me while we're talking about what we do and how much I love it and all this, uh, he's like, what's your end goal? TV show? You want to get on TV? 
And I thought that was so weird because I was like, no, I like I like what I'm doing for what yeah. it is. Like I'm I'm enjoying it because I think it's it has value as it is now. <laughs> and he was the only person who was very clearly like point A to point B, just careerist focused. Don't give a fuck how I get to name recognition. Mm -hmm. All I care about is the name recognition. And then of course we learned like Anna Kasparian talked about this that he was demanding he wanted six figures from TYT for doing one show per week. And there was like, you know, there was a dispute over that. And eventually he left and it was very, you know, famous. He was shitting on the Young Turks nonstop. And, you know, now he's just, he's gone from like left-wing guy to like, I'm an enlightened centrist or whatever. Like I'm a classic liberal to mm -hmm. now it's just like, I'm trying my best to be like Ben Shapiro, but I'm just yeah. so much dumber that I can't even form yeah. regular conservative arguments to convince people. And he's slowly losing his audience, which is delicious to watch. Yes, yeah, he's, he's um, successful, right? I mean, that's the part that troubles me. Is some of these people, I'm like, how is anyone watching you? His audience is like 100% boomers now. Right. Um, and yeah, his, that's true. His rhetoric is very, it's still very like 2015, where he's still on the like, oh, diversity of ideas and, like, ideas and ideas. And we never hear these ideas, ever. It's always the ideas, <laughs> the ideas. And, like, I know people have made that joke a million times, but literally, like, Dave, what are the ideas? Can we yeah. just talk like, about We can just talk about ideas? them. You yeah. don't have to talk about talking about the ideas. That, right, that's all he does. He never <laughs> brings up the ideas. It's just, let's talk about the idea of ideas. It's such a fucking idiot. It's unbelievable. He has a sort of left-wing person on. He's just like, I'm so glad we could sit down and talk about the ideas. And it's like, talk about the ideas. I just want to hear the ideas. Um, yeah, I was supposed to go on a show uh, years ago, and I, like, dipped out. So happy you second. did that. Although, yeah. I don't know. Remember when uh, Marianne went on with him, Williamson? Oh, she ran she circles around him. That was amazing. It was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So maybe um, you could have done that to him. Yeah. <laughs> Look at um, I'm kind of his glad reaction to Rogan to see his personality. I'm sorry, Shu. Go ahead. Oh, so no, you go. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm kind of glad I didn't go though, because it was back in the day, and I would have been like, the ideas, the ideas. I would have been. The um, same. <laughs> I'm so happy you didn't go. You have no idea how happy I am that you didn't go. Um, but yeah, if you look at his, uh, he's so butthurt at the fact that Rogan doesn't want him on anymore. And I love watching any like little snippet. He, every now and then he says something in like a live stream, and he's like, I reached out to him about my book, and you know, I haven't heard back from him or anything. So I maybe somebody else figure out what's going on there. I don't know. And it's like he's so hurt over it because, again, this is a guy who only cares about exposure and like fame. And here's like the number one guy, the number one podcaster is big ticket to like getting more eyeballs on him. And that guy now despises him. And he's like, what have I done? I, I love watching him melt over that. Rogan lives like rent free in Dave's mind. It's hilarious. Like he brought up the fact that Rogan wanted to move to Texas. And Dave was like, that's a bad idea because Rogan's a Bernie voter. We don't need any more of those. It's like, what? Yeah, well, the guy who's all about, you know, I'm all about ideas, bro. And I, I, I tolerate people with different opinions. And he's like, ban the Bernie bros from Texas. <laughs> Very strange, strange man. Mm. Um, <laughs> and now he's like defending Amazon. Have you seen that? A lot of conservatives actually, um, because Bernie spoke out about it, I guess. All of a sudden, like Dave's on Twitter, like, I stand with Amazon. Oh, Elizabeth Warren too. He was like, I stand with Amazon against Elizabeth Warren. And even his own audience, like conservatives, a lot of friends of mine who are right wing have moved a little bit on like the corporate stuff. 
like uh, they're more against corporations now and stuff like that. So even them, like they're seeing Dave Rubin just completely, sorry for this word, just cuck to like Amazon. And they're just like, what are you doing, dude? Like it, it's so embarrassing to watch. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know who his audience is anymore. I don't know what he's doing, but the Amazon shilling was a little, little hilarious. <laughs> totally. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk a little bit about Amazon. Yeah. Um, I mean, that has been, we've covered that a lot on Rising and something I care a lot about and Sagar does as well. And um, it was really interesting to see and sort of insane to see how apparently coming directly from Bezos, they had a meltdown about the entire unionization drive, which, by the way, I don't want people to get their hopes up too much because I, I think they have a, a very hard and high hill to climb in order to vote in favor of a union there for a variety of structural reasons that have nothing to do with whether or not people want to have collective power in the workplace. But Bezos was so thin skinned about this that he sent out his minions to like get in these weird Neurotandon style fights with Bernie Sanders, with Elizabeth Warren, Ro with Kana. Mark Pocan, yeah. with Marianne Williamson, Rokana got involved. Like this was bizarre. And even to the point that Jay Carney, who is now a senior vice president at Amazon, but used to be Biden's spokesperson and then White House press secretary on Obama and still his Twitter like profile banner picture is him with Joe Biden. He jumps in to the mix to be like, actually, our workplaces are amazing. And you're wrong, Bernie Sanders. Like, what did you make of all of this? They were all being so like sassy, especially that Amazon business account. I think that's what it was. Amazon yeah. News, Amazon News. Amazon News was like, you don't really believe in that pee bottle story, do you? It's like, like it was <laughs> gaslighting ex-boyfriend or something um that was hilarious and so embarrassing for them and then you have like they're they're being like you know they're being a dave rubin type where they're trying to like debunk elizabeth warren and bernie sanders and they're just being blown that out um on twitter by everybody just completely ratioed and then you have those fake accounts i know that you guys know about that but the these fake bot accounts where they're using other people's pictures they um, used to be in like, one of them, they used Dude Perfect's picture. Did yeah. you see that? <laughs> Did you see that? Like, yeah, you I said that to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and like, it's like so pathetic. And um, they're just like, oh, I love working at Amazon. I absolutely do not pee in bottles. No bottles. Pee. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually kind of scary is if you make fun of these people, if you change your name on Twitter to amazon worker and then you put the box emoji you apparently get banned or suspended yeah oh really yeah yeah because so, i think they, i think what they were thinking to be fair to twitter is that they realized that there were a lot of amazon bots out there and so now they're just assuming that anything that says amazon whatever is a bot and so they're just banning all the amazon stuff but yeah yeah it's um i what i'm amazed by is how shameless the arguments are that they're making because there was a top level amazon executive who got into a twitter fight with Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and Ro Khanna. And he was like, the argument was like, Bernie only talks about $15 minimum wage. We actually do it. We pay $15. He's in Vermont. Vermont's minimum wage is only $11.35. What's up with that? By the way, he's a senator. He's not the governor of Vermont. Vermont, so he would have no direct control over the minimum wage of Vermont. But beyond that, as Ro Khanna pointed out, the reason they have a $15 minimum wage yes. 
is because of Ro Khan and Bernie Sanders proposing the Stop Bezos Act. And what happened was Jeff Bezos was afraid that this would catch on and get bipartisan support. And so he was like, okay, okay, I'll raise, the, I'll raise it to $15 an hour. So the fact that they say that, sh- it's just, it's so shameless. Because they fucking know why it was raised to $15 yeah. an hour. And they fucking know that Ken Clippenstein is right. I mean, for fuck's sake, if you have same-day delivery, you know what the price for that is? Somebody shitting in a fucking bag on the highway. That's the price for same-day delivery. I hate to tell you. Yeah. yeah. So first of all, I have to say, I thought I wasn't allowed to curse on this uh, program. Oh, no, you could curse. We I just know. look professional. We're not actually professional. Fucking, <laughs> <laughs> fucking, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's insane. Like, the, the absolute audacity of this company to just be like, well, Bernie Sanders doesn't end. It's like, okay, Bernie Sanders is the reason you guys, well, partially the reason you guys even have that. Oh my God, I cannot believe it's so embarrassing. They're not going to win this fight. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, well, they might win, you know, they might not unionize or whatever, but they're not going to win the online, you know, ship posting war. Mm-hmm. They're definitely right. yeah. losing the online ship post and literal shit posting war. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know. Extremely unfortunate. Um, So what is your next, what are you working on next, Shu? Um, Well, besides the getting high and reading hate comments video. Yes. um, Oh, by the way, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you with weed. You said you'd only smoked a few times. Is that because of lack of availability or you don't really like it? Or what's the reason? Um... Well, I've tried, like, brownies more than I've smoked because I don't really like smoking. But, like, um, also, yeah, lack of ability. I don't know where to even get it. Like, I'm one of those people that's just, like, it's not legal, so, like, I shouldn't do it. Um, but I've been to Colorado, and there's when I uh, when I mostly tried it, yeah. So I tried a gummy in Colorado, like a weed gummy, and I was high for, like, almost two days straight. And I yeah, that's... It. That wow. stuff is no joke, June. Like that's the thing is people don't realize the when you eat it. So easy, yeah, when you eat it, it's, it's more powerful than when you smoke it. Smoking it is not as powerful as eating yeah. it because the way so your body metabolizes it. I was with my sister when it happened, and we had it was like peach ring gummies. Um, and I took it, and then I handed her the bag, and she's like, "Oh no, like I can't. Um, I have to get drug tested for a job." So I was all alone. Like I thought she was gonna do it with me. <laughs> all alone like tripping out for like two days um that was like one of my first experiences with weed and i was like oh man this is did did you feel paranoid yeah oh my god yeah yeah Yeah, that's what i get too which is why i'm not a big weed fan yeah (laughs) i get that no matter what i usually get paranoid i say 60 percent of the times i've had marijuana in my life i got paranoid really yeah i feel like i liked it more when i was young like when i was in high school college I really liked it and now I just I don't feel like I like the feeling as much I actually um was in Vegas before COVID and had a gummy and went to a Backstreet Boys concert by the way (laughs) Backstreet Boys concert is hilarious and amazing um because they still now they're you know they're my age they're like 40 and they have total dad bods and some of them are like going bald but they still lean into the sex symbol persona and everyone is like in on the joke so it's actually quite enjoyable and amusing i don't know if they're still in vegas or not now but anyway i did not enjoy the experience at all because it freaked me out anytime you know you're in the super crowded environment and anytime yeah. anyone would even brush up against me it would like yeah totally freak <laughs> me out so yeah i feel like i don't know as i've gotten older it's just not my thing anymore 
Yeah, I actually, I did a brownie uh, before I went to a Muse concert. I don't know if you guys know mm-hmm. who Muse is, um, but it, it was insane. It was like a laser light show and like a giant skeleton came out from the stage. And I was like, oh, my what God. the hell is happening? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, my God. My mind. Um, yeah, incredible. But I'm just happy weed is legalized, though. It's such a harmless, like, thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, most people do not react like I react, how I get paranoid. Yeah, exactly. I think most well, people you, just feel relaxed and want to eat, you know. Did you see the Biden people firing staffers for self-reporting? Yes. That really pissed me off because they had made it seem like it would be okay. And then yeah. all these people stupidly self-reported their drug use yeah. and then got fired. Although Chapo Trap House made an interesting point that was about this that was funny. They were like... Sort of fuck you if you didn't lie on that form when the government gave you that form and was like, have you smoked weed? It's very nice. Like, don't, yeah. To just <laughs> very be like, nice. Yeah, I smoke weed. Like, you're trying to get a job in the Biden administration. Not- this asshole <laughs> locked up half of America from smoking fucking weed. He's the biggest drug warrior. Yeah. He did. He, he was saying we should ban raves in some congressional hearing. This is not the guy you want to tell. Did he like, really? Yeah, you, don't, oh you never saw God, that? No. There's, there's like- a clip of Joe Biden saying fucking anything, everything. You know, he's been, <laughs> right. he's been in office since 1878. Like, what the fuck? Of course he's up there. He's talking about the duel between Burr and whoever it was. Anyway, sorry. Isn't this supposed to be, like, the most progressive, like, president? The Uh, next FDR. Yeah, the next Mm. FDR. Well, then they downgraded it to the next LBJ, and now I think it's all all out the window. It's just the next Bill Clinton is what we'll end up at. Yeah, Bill Clinton again. Yeah, that's where we are. I think think we need a a Huey Long to um, Joe Biden's FDR. I think that's what Mm. we need. That's what we need. All right. Well, everybody send Shu your meanest comments so she can read them while high. Um, <laughs> make sure you get on top of that. Oh, and hook me up with some Adderall if you have any extra. Oh, yes. I told you to talk no. about that after. All right. Let's say it now. Um, June, it's so great to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you uh, for having me on. You guys are like two of my favorite um, content creators and a huge influence, especially during the primaries. Um, keeping me up to date with all the news and everything. So thank you so much. All right. So there's June. There's Shoe on Head. Um, I didn't even, we didn't even ask her about the real origins of the name. Yeah, Shoe I was just yeah. thinking that. Yeah. I have no idea. Do you? No, I don't. But I, yeah. <laughs> I have no well, she idea. was saying that she started off with just like a, you know, vlog that was like, it was like a crazy thing that happened. So well, that, but she also did jokes with her friends. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Who knows? We'll have to have her back and ask her again. I'm sure it has something to do with some sort of joke they played and that's what she went with. But it is interesting, right? She started out, I like how she described it. She was like, my life was so uninteresting that I like turned the camera on and tried to make it sound interesting. And just make things up. Yeah. Yeah, to try to make it seem interesting. The thing that I really enjoy about her is that she has, and I, I said this to her a little bit, but she has this just like raw honesty and vulnerability. Like it actually takes a lot of courage to admit that, you could have easily bounced into the Trump camp instead of bouncing into the burning camp and being on that trajectory of like, oh, let me dig deeper into like these underlying factors and start from this place. I also think that it's very common that people's first interaction with politics is some like culture war item that causes them to form their political identity. 
And those things can become very hardened. And then you kind of like fill in the blanks or, or backfill the rest of the ideology. So it's like, oh, if these people who I agree with on Dr. Seuss or whatever the culture war issue is right. have all these other views of like low taxes or whatever the rest of the ideology is, you just kind of like talk yourself into belie- into buying in the whole set of beliefs, even though you don't really agree to start with with those other pieces. But she went in the other direction. Yeah. But I, I mean, to that point, though, I think there's blame to go around everywhere when something like that happens, when somebody gets sort of sucked in down the wrong path based on, you know, some ancillary culture war nonsense issue. Because on the one hand, it's like, yes, I want to blame the people who are nominally on the left who push the culture war stuff and push the woke stuff. It's like, stop doing that. But then I also do sort of blame the people who get sucked down that pipeline because it's also like, you st- even though they shouldn't be doing the culture war stuff, you also need to be smart enough to know that that's not something to base a whole worldview on. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like there's blame to go around for that sort of situation. Of course. But I do also think, I mean, the way human beings work is they're very sort of like they find their, Tribal. their in-group, right? Yeah. They find their Tribal. in-group and their identity and these are my people. And so it becomes very easy to just convince yourself that, okay, if I want to be in this group, I have this view, I need to have this whole other range mm-hmm. of views in order to fit in. And that's normally what happens. I yeah. mean, that's the way that this thing, generally speaking, goes. But it is, it is again, we bring this up like literally every show, but it's like that it's the Thomas Frank idea. It's the what's the matter with Kansas, you know, thesis, which is you have these voters in the middle of the country who are economically really not well off and they get sucked into hey, why don't you care about gays getting married? Hey, why don't you care about abortion? Why don't you care about Christianity and religion? And then they they run on that, and people vote based on that, and then that same group they just voted for cuts taxes for the wealthy and deregulates and destroys social safety net programs. And that it's the same mindset, you know what I mean? It's just the modern-day iteration of that same thing where you have, like, the Republicans talking nonstop about Dr. Seuss or Mr. Potato Head or whatever it is. It's all a shell game. It's all a distraction from what the real problems in people's lives Mm -hmm. are and who's actually causing them. And it's the same thing with the immigration debate, right? -hmm. right? Like, look, what's going on at the border is important and especially important from a humanitarian perspective and the way that we're treating these human beings who are trying to come and find a better life. But the way that it's used by the right is to say they're the problem. If yeah. you're having trouble in your life, it's Blame not because them. of us. Yeah. It's not because we've given everything away to the rich and the corporations. It's these other poor struggling people that are your real problem, which is obvious total bullshit. Yeah, they took your job, you know, is the idea. And you're right. They scapegoat them. It's the oldest trick in the book. Um, so there were a bunch of things that I wanted to ask her, but we didn't, you know, we didn't really have enough time to get to all the things that I had jotted down here. One of the things I was going to ask her is about, there's this new, I saw it in a CNN clip. I guess there's a report as well, but apparently the former head of the CDC came out and said, I think COVID came from that virology lab in Wuhan. Yeah. And he, he's very careful with how he words it. He says, this is my opinion. I'm allowed to have opinions now that I'm no longer the CDC head. I, you know, when I was there, I had to base everything I said off of just the evidence. Um, but this is my opinion. And my opinion is based on the fact that not only is there a virology lab there, it actually specializes in studying 
bat coronaviruses. Mm-hmm. And also he says the fact that it's more that this virus, COVID-19, is more transmissible, three to four times more transmissible than the flu. He says that in nature, generally speaking, it would take a long time for a virus to evolve to the point where it's that efficient in, in transmitting from one person to another person. And it just seems like it would have to be tweaked in a lab to be this efficient at getting people sick. So I was going to ask her what she thinks about that. Let me ask you, what do you think about that? Do you think that it came from a lab or do you think that the wet market theory is accurate or do you not know? What are your thoughts? I mean, here's my thought. I really have no fucking clue mm-hmm. and is I'm wildly out of my depth on this topic. But what has been most interesting to me is how you're really not allowed to say maybe it came from the lab at all. Like that whole explanation is supposed to be off the table. And it's one of those things where the news media has now gone out of it. They've taken that extra step now of they always put with it like the debunked lab leak theory or this has been widely discredited, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the things that they use to say it's been debunked or discredited don't really debunk or discredit it. It's an unproven. Nobody really knows. It's an unproven theory. I mean, the people who work in the lab, if they know, then they know. But in general, no one really knows. And then the other thing they use to justify this is that there's a World Health Organization report that just came out that says nothing to see here about the lab. Um, and, you know, again, adds to this pile of it's debunked, it's disproven, et cetera. But, you know, this would be incredibly embarrassing for the Chinese government if it did escape from the lab. And the World Health Organization used Chinese researchers and reportedly the, that report and the Biden administration has concerns about it, too, was very heavily influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. So you shouldn't be either just like relying on their word for it. To me, it seems like a pretty simple explanation. If it did come from a lab, that doesn't seem crazy to me at all. The other piece of this is I think part of why it's become so politically sensitive to even explore that idea is, number one, because Trump was pushing the idea to try to deflect blame from his own completely disastrous handling. Mm -hmm. And so he made it kind of toxic. And then I think there's an added level of sensitivity with all of the anti-Asian violence that's been going on of like, oh, this idea is somehow helping to fuel the violence. But I just I'm not sure that I see that link whatsoever. In fact, the other theory that it came from bats to me kind of fueled more of a racist response, because if you'll remember at the beginning when everyone's like it came from bats and people were circulating these pictures of like the bat soup and whatever. And I was like, oh, gross. Chinese people eat all this weird shit, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like to me, that was kind of more of a racist response that was triggered from the bat hypothesis. So anyway, those are yeah. some of my thoughts. I mean, what I would say is. If whether it came from the lab or it came from the wet market or it came from any other, you know, avenue, mm-hmm. it's important to know for the sake of science and for the sake of preventing this stuff in the future. But beyond that, nothing hinges on it. And so when people act like something hinges on whether or not it came from the lab, like if it did come from the lab, it was an accident. It's not like the Chinese government wanted to release this because they wouldn't want to release it and then kill who their knows people. how many of right. their own people. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't want to do that. So 
I think no, this wasn't good for them. Ultimately. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I think people are also sensitive because they feel like hand in hand with the idea that maybe it came from the lab is this idea that like, Mohaha, it's the nefarious Chinese government trying to take down the world. Right. And it's like, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. And that's I, that's definitely not what the CDC head was saying. The CDC head was saying, in his opinion, based on the evidence and based on what makes the most sense, if you have a virology lab there that studies bat coronaviruses, maybe when there's a bat coronavirus that takes over the world, go check bat coronavirus central to see if maybe there's something going on there. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And that's the thing is like, again, I don't think anyone definitively knows, but the fact that it's just been totally pushed on, like you're not allowed to ask. Yeah. It also means that, you know, the normal like shit disturbers who want to have the contrarian take the minute that you say you can't talk about this thing. It makes a million people want to be like, I'm all in on right, this thing. Yeah. And this mm -hmm. thing's super important. I care a lot about it. Like you said, does it matter where it came from? Yeah, it matters, right? It's important to know the origin of it so that you can take proper preventative steps earlier. I think it also matters in terms of understanding the type of cover-up that went on, not just with the Chinese government, but also with the World Health Organization, if they just were completely complicit in trying to ignore evidence yeah. that was relative. By the like, way, that's an important thing. We to covered know. it up too. Sorry to cut you off, but keep going. Yeah, right. Yeah. So everybody covered it up because nobody wanted to. Oh my God, nobody wants to realize. Oh my God, we're in a pandemic and it's fucking crazy. And you got to shut everything down. Everybody's like, calm, 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 calm. Just we'll worry about it later. You know, right. that's always the mindset. Right. But with this World Health Organization report, like if they're genuinely sort of engaged in a, an intentional cover up, that's something that we should know about, right? With regards to this large multilateral organization. But yeah, the minute that you and this is so much of the way, you know, the, the backlash effect from this kind of censorship instinct, the minute you tell people you can't talk about this thing, it just makes so many people who are shit disturbers and contrarians like it's just a natural instinct to be like, well, that's the thing I'm going to talk about then. Yeah. And I was hesitant to talk about this particular theory because I just didn't think there was anything compelling yet on that front. It seemed to me like it, originally, yes, the people who were talking about it did seem like sort of conspiracy cranks and right wingers and whatever. Yeah. And, and there um, are some on the far right who do take it that next level of like, and they intentionally really, and they tried to weaponize it, et cetera, Right, et cetera. yeah, oh, they, COVID's from them, so let's go to war. It. Yeah, there's some people who are like that. 100%. Right, but, you know, when you hear the former head of the CDC and fucking Sanjay Gupta on CNN, who's like, seems reasonable, then, you know, at that point, it's like, well, I, listen, I'm a moron, I admit that up front, not trying to hide anything, right? But, like, when I saw the segment, I was pretty convinced by it. And I thought, you know, whatever. I'm 70-30 on the side of it probably came from the lab. Would I be surprised if it came from a wet market or elsewhere? No. So it's possible that that's the case. But, yeah, I think a sober look at the evidence and, you know, the surrounding. It's all circumstantial, right? Like, there's all circumstantial evidence. Like you said, nobody really knows. Right. But, you know, if you come to that conclusion based off the circumstantial evidence, don't try to tell me that that shit is crazy because it's not even close to crazy. That's exactly right. And that's a piece, too, of, like, I have no fucking clue. Yeah. Right? This mm -hmm. is wildly outside of my area of expertise. But it certainly seems like a plausible, if not likely, it seems like the simplest explanation, which yeah. means that it deserves a lot of investigation. Where, as you know, we are both Occam's Razor fans. Yes. I'm a big fan of Occam's Razor. I think you are the person who really sort of, you know, put that directly into my uh, an analytical thinking. I am incredible. This is true. Well, that's <laughs> that's the simplest explanation as well. That's the Occam's exactly. Razor Occam's of Razor. how Occam's Razor got into my I should have named analysis. our fucking podcast Occam's Razor. 
<laughs> we should have named it that. We can always rename it. No, the ship has sailed. Once you do it, you know, if you re- fuck people. We, start a, we can start another podcast. <laughs> Where it's just me and you? Yeah, that will work. Just me and you, Occam's Razor. We already don't have time for the shit that we're doing. I know, but the idea of it is nice. <laughs> it's anyway, a good idea. we'll um, pause that one. Yes, we will. All right, shameless plug time, real quick. Let me do some shameless plugs, real quick. Slash shameless plug. I don't know why I say it plural. Anyway, uh, everybody, I don't know what you're doing with your life. If you aren't tipping the five dollars a month to watch the video version of the show, highly recommend watching the video version of the show. I have a absolutely phenomenal tan, and I was only in the sun for one day. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I am golden. You're I'm really the feeling song, yourself today. The huh? song "Boys of Summer" was made about me. I do really like your shirt this week. I have to say, you know, I'm a fan of that color. Thank you. I like the pattern. It's not too busy for on camera. I think it looks good. You Thank you very much. Say in the comments whether you feel otherwise. It, you know, I have a shirt like this, which is also red, and that's the Italian tablecloth shirt. It looks like one of those old Italian yes. restaurants. Yeah. Yes. That one I'm not a, I'm not the biggest fan of, but I like this one because I think the color is nicer. Anyway, uh, so yes, $5 a month on Substack. You get the video as soon as it drops on Friday night. Highly recommend that. Um, if you don't want to pay the $5 a month, you're crazy, but putting that aside, uh, wait until Saturday and you get the audio version of the podcast. You can get it on any of the you know podcast platforms or on all of them, but highly recommended either way, whether or not you want to pay the five bucks to get the video or not, either way, um, sign up for the newsletter on Substack because you also, you'll know the second the podcast drops on Saturday, you'll know. So you don't have to like go check, oh, when it is, does it drop? When does it drop? You'll just get emailed right away, you know, new podcast out, Crystal Kyle and friends with whatever guest. And so that's what I highly recommend everybody does. Yes, indeed. And um, next week, I'm not going to say who our guest is, but I'm very excited about our guest. Oh, you don't want to say it? Is it because we jinx it sometimes and they drop out? Yeah, Yeah. and then they cancel and we're like, fuck, we told everybody. But let me just say, I think it's going to be a very sexy conversation. Very sexy conversation? Yes. Hmm, sexy conversation. Are we talking to Jim Justice, the governor of West Virginia? Shh. <laughs> not supposed to say. I was trying to think of somebody more absurd and silly, but I, that's the only <laughs> that's one. The my mind got stuck. Like, he's huge. Go with him. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my mind did. <laughs> Tune in next week to find out. Subscribe so you can find out sooner than everybody else. And thanks for hanging out with us, guys. Thanks, guys.